Welcome in. It's the BCJ Podcast on BearcatJournal.com. I'm Chad Brindle, joined as always during football season by my man Dave Simone. And we've got a special guest today as the Bearcats open conference play and get ready to head up to the rent, uh, up to East Hartford. From the UConn blog, we've got Aman Kidoi uh, joining us, and uh, he's going to give us a little bit of a preview of the Huskies. We've got a lot to talk about today. Like I said, we'll preview UConn. Uh, Dave and I will look back a little bit at the win over Ohio University, exciting win in comeback fashion. Uh, we'll give our thoughts on the UConn game and then schedule release today. And uh, there's an official visitor in town for basketball, uh, an all-name team potential guy, Francisco Fedabello, who has, uh, has been the uh, point guard for the Argentinian uh, FIBA under 15, under 16, under 17, under 18 the past four years. Uh, he's been the starting point guard for uh, Argentina's youth FIBA teams. He is on t- in town visiting Wednesday and Thursday, uh, and then we'll head to TCU for a visit Friday and Saturday. Those appear to be his two finalists, and uh, hopefully a decision coming sometime after that. Dave, I'm going to have problems with that because – I don't think he speaks English, and I know his parents don't speak English, so <laughs> communication tomorrow is going to be a little difficult. <laughs> we'll have to get a translator. Yeah. Do, do you speak Spanish? You can come with me and be my translator. Uh, no, hablo. <laughs> I took like four years of it in high school, but I, I didn't learn anything. Uh, yeah, I think I took more than that counting college, but yeah, it's not helping me much now. <laughs> but first, let's get to Aman and uh, Aman Kidwai. Welcome to the site. Welcome to the show, and uh, good to see you. And uh, big game this week as, as Cincinnati opens conference play at Connecticut. Dave, I'll let you take it away. Thank you. Thanks uh, again for joining us, Aman. First off, who did you guys piss off with your schedule? Because... <laughs> the first four four or five games, I'm venturing to guess no one will play more teams with more wins, considering you got to start the year against UCF, then traveled to Boise, had a uh, you know a fairly good FCS team in Rhode Island at home, and then went to Syracuse and now get an undefeated Cincinnati. So, who who uh, who did you guys make mad? Yeah, I don't know. I it's it's a series of unfortunate events. Um, some of them more preventable than others, I'd say. Um, <clears throat> UConn has had some some weird luck with FCS. Um, the Huskies have hit Villanova in the past. Towson, when they were good, Towson beat UConn back uh, uh, five years ago. Um, so, so UConn's always run into pretty tough FCS teams. Um, so that's just, you know, that's bad luck there. Syracuse, you never really expect Syracuse to be that good, you know. So... Uh, that, that again, this is the, the best they've been in what, 10 years or so. So maybe longer. Um, so again, I think Syracuse, we can, we can cut the schedulers some slack on that one. Um, you know, Boise state, that was a while ago, but or scheduled a while back. Um, we were going to be in a conference together. You guys may recall that, uh, (laughs) that fun, fun episode, but, um, you know, Boise, it's a good opponent to have on the schedule, I think, especially when you're in the AAC and, um, you know, sometimes if you're kind of a threat to win games, the P5 won't schedule you. So then in that instance, having a Boise on the schedule is, is good. Now, is UConn in a position to take, a, you know, to take advantage of a solid strength of schedule? No, not necessarily this year. Um, 
them as the breaks. Uh, the really interesting move to me was the UCF. Whose whose idea was it to pull forward that UCF game to the season opener? Because that decision was made knowing we had Randy Edsel's rebuild, uh, knowing knowing that this was going to be a young team, and you bring in you you make a conscious decision to play kind of a prime time ish game. You know, Thursday night, first weekend of the season um, against the. the UCF, the reigning national champions to some people. So that's the most confusing decision to me. Um, I hope they were offered some some nice payout to do that or something, but um, that that was a decision that I, I question. I would love to know where it came from. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it has been a, a lot of good teams on UConn's schedule so far. It definitely has. And, you know, just kind of reading through and looking at things that – it looks like they're catching no breaks of the way that the conference set things up for them, getting starting with UCF, then Cincinnati, and I think, what, you guys play Memphis and USF the next two games as well. So, you know, four of, you know, as it looks now, you know, four teams that will probably finish in the top half of the conference. So hopefully the the, uh, the team isn't so beaten down that they can maybe, you know, get through that and get get some wins at the end of the year. Yeah, I, I agree. It's 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 going to have to be kind of think of it as the gauntlet, and then and then that that final stretch of the schedule is is actually a lot of winnable games. I think so. Um, you know, I don't have the schedule right in front of me, but it's it's something like you know UMass, UMass, SMU, uh, ECU, Temple, uh, Tulsa. You know, it's, it's that you know in some some order. Um, right. And and so you know that's um that's four bottom twenty offenses, uh, and then the the one of those that isn't UMass is a is a bottom you know bottom thirty team as well. So, um you know it's a it's a soft end to that schedule, and and hopefully yeah like you said hopefully they're not too too beat up, um you know both physically and mentally, um and then and then maybe end the season on a high note, and um you know it's it's hard to expect much more than what we've seen given that you're playing some very high quality teams. Um, you know, I think, well, we can get into the later, but, um, yeah, you know, I think, I think there's some hope for the end of the schedule, but yeah, this, um, especially given that Cincinnati is better than expected. Um, you know, this, this stretch to open the meat of conference plays is, is, is looking really tough. Well, we'll get, we'll get into this week's game specifically. And, uh, a bright spot, at least in my opinion, has been the play of quarterback David. Is it Pindle or Pindell? And Pindell. I mean, he's definitely, in, you know, from afar, seems to be, uh, if not the best, one of the very best players on the roster. He's he seems, you know, to be breaking long plays on a routine basis, whether it's uh, mainly running. It looks like, but also passing. You know his play has has kind of been overshadowed by the defense, but other than other than him, is he getting much help offensively, or has it been you know kind of kind of a one man show so far this year? Um, yeah, I think in terms of dependability, it has been a one man show, and um, but I there there. There are pieces to work with. Um, the offensive line has long been a weakness for the team, and this year it's 
shown some improvement. It's not great, but it's shown, you know, uh, measurable improvement. And then he actually does have a decent set of uh, kind of playmakers at receiver to go to. Um, but I think, you know, what right now, what, what that group is missing is a, is a consistent playmaker, whether it's a running back or a receiver, um, is, is just somebody that's more consistent. There's a lot of people showing flashes, um, here and there, but, uh, you know, I, I think if you're just looking at the UConn offense holistically, yeah, you, it's fair to think of it as the David Pindell show. Um, he's, an, he's a great runner, a true dual threat. He's, he's had good accuracy on his passes. He's able to move the pocket. He keeps his eyes downfield pretty well. And, um, you know, I think it's, it's really encouraging. I mean, there's a, there's, um, he, he's been really, really impressive, especially when you consider how he uh, kind of struggled when he was the starter uh, at times last year. Looking at their numbers, offensively, they're not terrible, but the one number that did jump out is minus seven in turnovers. So it, it, to me, it seems that they've gotten down early, you know, been able to put a few drives together, accumulate some yards, but that it seems like they're almost, whether it's self-inflicted wounds or the opposing defense making a play, the turnover issue is keeping them from finishing off drives and maybe finding their way back into some of these games or, or keeping them closer for longer periods. Is that is that accurate? Yeah, I, th- I think that's a, a really great observation. Um the the offensive performance writ large has been good, um, you know, solid production, been able to move the ball. There have been some boneheaded decisions that led to turnovers. Um, uh, you know, there's and some of it's on the coaching. There was one where they kind of tried a trick play that led to a fumble when they were driving in the opening drive against Syracuse, for example. Obviously, that sets the tone poorly. I think I think they've had two turnovers on opening drives already so far this season. So, um, yeah, they, they are, they have been turnover prone. Um, they're, they're very young at running back, uh, very young and inexperienced at running back slightly more so at, at receiver. Um, but you know, it actually, Pindell has been pretty smart with the ball just in terms of kind of where those turnovers are coming from. I, I, he's had some picks, but I'd say overall he's been pretty smart with the ball and, um, you know, done done more good than bad when he's kind of running around and trying to make something happen. If it's not him Saturday, who are maybe the two or three guys that UConn will will work to get the ball to, whether it's wide receiver, tight end, running back? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think the the first name on the list would be Kevin Mensa. He's a sophomore running back who's been pretty productive. Um, he, he saw a lot of time last year as well as a true freshman. Um, he's, he definitely needs to, you know, add some weight and and that to to be the kind of complete player that he's going to be, but, um, he's already pretty solid. And, and unfortunately due to some roster attrition and injuries, um, he's kind of been thrust into this lead back role, whereas it's going to be a committee, a little bit more of a committee, um, behind him on the depth chart is a, is a, uh, redshirt freshman from uh, from Germany, so it's it's uh, really thin at running back. So I think just looking at that position, it's it's Mensa. Um, you know, at, at receiver, it really could be anyone. Um, one of the candidates 
uh, Keon Dixon, who I think is a impressive athletic talent and has shown great big play potential, will not be playing um, as of right now. So I'd go with uh, you know receiver Hergie Mayala uh, is is a senior. He's he's kind of your your a possession receiver, six foot one, strong, good route runner, that kind of thing. Um, and then I'll go with that. At, we've got a slot receiver, Kyle Buss, um, you know, very much a scrappy uh, uh, inside <laughs> receiver. And then um, coach's son. son. Coach's son. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's a, he's a real hustler. First he, one in last one out. He plays the game the right way. Um, so, uh, but those are, those are the guys who, um, you know, Buss had a big game in the opener against uh, UCF, but has been kind of quiet since, but um, you know, we'll, we'll see. Now switching over defensively, a lot has been made of Cincinnati being one of the youngest teams in the country. And while that is true, they do have a very high percentage of underclassmen. When you look at the, the starting units on both sides, a vast majority of the starters are upperclassmen. So it's a little skewed when you see that graphic come up on the screen when they're playing on TV. But with UConn, it actually, they should be getting, I think, more discussion for their youth because looking into the depth chart that was released this week for the game, I've never seen anything like this where the defensive depth chart is starting five true freshmen, two redshirt freshmen, two sophomores and two redshirt sophomores with two seniors and no juniors in the two deep, I guess what is, how does that even happen? One, is it just guys leaving the program? Is it injuries or are the freshmen just that much better? And, and two, is that a big reason why their numbers are, what they are or, you know, just kind of give them the overview of what, where this defense is going wrong. Yeah. I think, I think people had hoped it might've been a little bit more of that last thing you said, um, right. That hopefully it's that these young guys are just much better than the people who they replaced or, um, you know, guys who transferred out because they kind of started slipping on the depth chart and they hit their junior year, you know, that kind of thing. So, um, you know, I think also just the system changing is going to magnify or magnify that problem. Um, so going from a, a three, four to a three, three, five, um, just, just a different, you need different linebackers. Um, and then you've got kind of different needs at, at safety as well. So, um, I think part of it, it has been scheme change, um, what is the value of that scheme change when this is happening right now? Uh, you know, great question. Uh, and, um, yeah, you know, it's, it's hard, it's hard to know, but it it obviously doesn't help when these, these are freshmen and true freshmen, and then they are going up against UCF and Boise state to start the season. Um, now that that said, they went up against a Rhode Island team and and also gave up a lot of points. But you know, as as you can maybe imagine, an FCS team they're they're senior laden. They know what they're doing. They run they run 
a smart version of the game, uh, you know, because because that's kind of how they how they operate. Smarter version of the game because that's how they operate. So, um, I don't know. There's there's obviously a lot going wrong defensively. Um, it's 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 intentional. It is obviously looking to building for the future. Um, but yeah, I've never seen anything like it either. Uh, and we've seen a lot of young and rebuilding UConn teams. Um, so combination, I think, of attrition, poor recruiting by the previous staff. Uh, they kind of reached a point where they just weren't they weren't getting anyone, you know, towards the end there. Um, so poor recruiting from the previous staff, attrition, and then scheme change. Um, but but you know, obviously, it's on every very much on everyone's radar how unbelievably bad the defense is. There, there looks like there's three. You know, in, in Coach Edsel's press coverage this week, he mentioned three injuries of guys that either didn't play against Syracuse and won't play against UC or, or won't play against UC and linebacker Marche Terry and Eli Thomas and then corner Taj Herring Wilson. Are those impactful injuries? Were those guys that were looked to be counted on as kind of a ex- little bit experienced and older guys coming into the season? So that's part of the reason. So. Are those kind of for for UConn's sake big losses for the time being? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I mean, the other the other piece of the injury report is that David Pindell is has a injury and is still unclear whether he'll play. So um, there's there's obviously that. Oh, okay. He, I mean, I I didn't know. Yeah. It, it seemed in following leading up for the game, it seems like they made it sound like he could have gone back into the Syracuse game, and they just chose not to. So you're <clears> saying that that might be a little more serious than they wanted to let on. I, th- I think he's going to play also, but, um, but yes. Yeah. I, th- you know, I think again, think about if he, if he did in the first quarter, he might, he might end up leaving. It right. might be one of those types of situations. Um, cause it's especially, it's a bruise. So, um, uh, yeah, Eli Thomas is a, is a junior college transfer. So that was a more experienced player who was expected to be a contributor at linebacker. Taj Herring Wilson was a starter at cornerback, a former three-star recruit, um, who was kind of thrust into a starting role last year. Um, you know, got beat a lot, but also made some plays. Um, so, so, uh, and then Marche Terry is someone who has been considered a leader on the team. Again, somewhat older relative to the rest of the defense. So, actually, yeah, they're the they're all pretty impactful losses on the defensive side. Um, there, if, if those guys are all not playing. So, wh- what has been the, I guess, from the opponent's standpoint, the fo- the plan of attack? Because usually, you know, if you see numbers like you're seeing with this defense, where they're giving up over 300 yards a game rushing and t- almost eight yards a carry, you'd think, well, they're not even throwing the ball because they can just run at will. But then they're also giving up 355 yards a game passing. So is it has it really just been kind of whatever the offense wants to do? They just haven't been able to get stops. Yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. They're giving up nine point eight yards per play. So it's there's no um, and and you know if you look at the yards per carry, it's it's really high. So and and it has been really high. So um, I mean, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, teams can run and and teams can pass. I think looking at Cincinnati. Um, no reason to think they won't, they won't just pound the rock, uh, and control the game as long as they have to and, or as long as they need to. And, um, 
again, just really be in control, barring barring mistakes uh, offensively. You know, drops, penalties, that kind of stuff. Of course, turnovers, but um, that's that's really um, going to be it. But you know, obviously, when you're this kind of team, the the uh, UConn, when you're this kind of defense, you have to prevent the big plays. Um, so uh, they were not able to do that against Syracuse. Um, that can help them out if they get a little bit better at that as well. I guess that was kind of a little bit leading to my next question was just, you know, sometimes you see coaches say, well, we need to just, you know, be more aggressive in this situation because we need to try to force the offense to make mistakes, which could then leave us susceptible to big plays or the other side is like, we're so young and inexperienced. We basically have to line up and do, as few things as possible and try to do those things well. So, you know, it's not very exotic. It's, it's kind of easy to scout. Is, is UConn, has UConn been one way or the other? Has it been a little bit of, of both mentalities? What have you seen so far? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think offensively they're, they're a pretty competent team. Um, so um, I think they've been, they've been able to do a lot of different things. Uh, you know, again, defensively, if you're thinking about game plan, I again, I I don't, um, I, I can't purport to know the the formula there because uh, it's it's just it's, uh, it's there's uh you just have to kind of hope that some progress occurs over time and that they're hardened by the experience that they're getting, um, and eventually just starting to be smarter and make plays, but. No, they're not. You know, th- defensively, they're not. They're not doing tons of weird blitzing and stuff. And you know, I, I mean, so many freshmen and true freshmen, um, they they run the risk of of real disaster if they get too complex. So, right. Uh, you know, I I think they're keeping it pretty simple, especially defensively, um, to to just make the conversation more exciting. I think offensively, they're probably is still more to see from, from the, the Husky offense. Um, so that's a f- fun, exciting silver lining, but I mean, yeah, the, de- <laughs> right. the, the defense is in such poor shape. It's, it's really a shame. I mean, it's just, it really is a shame because we haven't seen a ton of great offense at UConn, but we're seeing, you know, a pretty good one right now. And, uh, it's just unfortunate. I guess this is kind of a, a bigger picture question, just from the standpoint of, you know, with, Coach Hurley coming in for basketball and kind of seems like that's getting jazzed up again after a few down years and and just the over what's the overall vibe around the football program and and kind of the you, know, you guys are right in there you see what happens with a off campus stadium and being in the AAC and kind of being you know outside of Temple kind of being out in your own little corner what, you know what is the vibe and and just kind of the the future hold for for this program where they're trying to compete with teams in their conference that you know a UCF on the far end that's going thirteen and zero and being in conversations you know as a you know national champion whatever you have but just kind of you know what do UConn fans think of football in general and kind of where the university should go in the near future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so to start, I mean, there are some people who were against it from the beginning. Um, you know, UConn moved up to FBS in 
started the process in the late 90s and, and you know, happened in 01 and I think joined the Big East in 03 or 04, something like that. So, um, you know, there were people who even then, and then even when UConn did all right for itself as a member of the Big East, there were people still, you know, at that point who were, who were against it. So those people, you can imagine how, how um, strong they are feeling right now. Uh, and then I would say more broadly, the program is under the most fire it has ever been, been under. Um, uh, the idea of, of constantly having to keep it close against F- FCS teams, um, really struggling to compete as a member of the AAC. And then, of course, this, this clear fact that um, the, the larger aspirations that require football are choking out the basketball team. And, um, you know, it's, it's unfortunate that basketball matters so little in the overall spectrum of how to make money from being, doing college sports. Um, but that's the reality. So, uh, but, but the reality of UConn's fanhood is that, or fan base is that the, the, the majority of the excitement is generated in basketball and, and, you know, I'd say even the people who have been very supportive of the football program are concerned. Um, you know, the stadium, it's, it's one of, it's, if the team is good, the stadium will be full or full enough, you know, um, and, and I think it's, it's, it is more about people seeing the path in the AAC versus the Big East. Um, and then it becomes the conversation of, you know, the, <laughs> the meaning of life. It's like, do you, do you, do you think UConn is going to end up in a power conference or, or, and do you think it's worth making the bets to try to in the next five to 10 years and see if you can, um, you know, that's the many millions of dollars question that, um, it's, it's a lot easier to, it's, it's becoming a lot easier to say no as of late. Um, you know, attendance has dipped significantly. Of course, that's a national you know problem, but attendance has dipped right. significantly at UConn. Um, but again, it's it it winning solves a lot of things here, and um, you know Randy Etzel has proven he can do it at Connecticut against against odds with not highly super highly regarded talent. Um, you know I think, and he comes to UConn at a great price while they're currently paying Bob Diaco a couple million dollars not to be the head coach, which is <laughs> worth every penny, um, but. Uh, you know, that's, that's the state of things. These are, (laughs) these are just lean years for UConn football. And, um, we have to, we have to see if there's potential for hope, you know, hopefully they end this season on a high note. Uh, they can show some, you know, a couple win improvement from the two or three they're going to win this year. Hopefully they can do five or six the next year. And, and, uh, and hopefully Dan Hurley can revive basketball. You know, I think if it, if it ends up that, you know the the story becomes nobody can revive UConn basketball. Then it then it starts to get serious. You know, um, if if the women's team starts slipping, you know, then then we're getting really serious. You know, as well, then we're getting really serious too. Um, so, I think it's you know it's it's fair to discuss right now. I think in terms of actually taking action and on a on a decision uh, around that question, it's it's still something that's a few years down the road, and and you know only beating Rhode Island by seven really shouldn't be the, the factor in the conver- in this in the conversation. I think mm-hmm. you're gonna be all right Chad, in basketball. Yeah. 
Chad, do you have anything? <laughs> no, I, I think you guys touched on it all. Uh, <clears throat> I, I had to, I had, I sent a text to Danny, and uh, and told him I'm not able to root for him all the games now, uh, like I have in the past. But minus what what feels like three games a year, uh, I, I'll be pulling for the Huskies now. Uh, you, you guys got a great coach and a guy that I think is not going to have much of a problem turning around the UConn basketball program, and he just beat out Xavier for a four-star recruit. So things are going well yeah. in Hartford, or stores, or where, wherever they're playing this week. <laughs> in the great state of Connecticut, things, yes. things are looking up in, in uh, men's basketball for sure. And uh, Yeah, I think the whole fan base will get a lift from that. That will even give uh, football a little cover potentially um, as, as Randy Edsel continues to try to figure it Try out <laughs> yeah <laughs> all right Amon. we appreciate it man i'm on kid y from the yukon blog check it out and uh i'm sure we'll talk again around basketball season man thanks a lot for coming on sounds good looking forward to it bye guys all right see you later that's again Amon kid y from the yukon blog joining us talking about the huskies football program and the the struggles they've been having heading into the game with cincinnati 600 Plus yards of offense. They're what? Would you? Would you tell me? A hundred and twenty-four yards worse than any other defense in the country. Yeah. So they are. I mean, these numbers are just staggering. They're last in total defense. Ohio is actually second to last because total defense is accumulated by yards. They are a hundred and twenty-five yards worse than Ohio. Uh, I think it's right around 624 yards per game. Uh, we touched on the rush defense, second to last nationally, 7.97 yards per carry, 309 yards a game. Passing yards allowed, 126 nationally, 355 yards per game. Pass efficiency defense last nationally, 197.58. So you have Woof. Mackenzie Milton, we know is good. Yeah. Uh, Boise State, uh, Brian, or I think it's Brian Rippin, Mark Rippin's son, we know is pretty good. FCS quarterback from Rhode Island and Eric Dungy from Syracuse, who is pretty good. But, I mean, those numbers just for that is just is staggeringly bad. I, I, so it's hard to fathom. I mean, giving up that it many really, yards it again. really is because you're, I mean, you're they've given up. I think UCF scored fifty six, Boise sixty two. Uh, I think Rhode Island was in the forties, and then Syracuse scored fifty one. And I'm not sure they tried to score in the fourth quarter. Look, and they, and they've also so, turned it over a ton. So you've got to think teams have been playing. With fairly short fields? Right. So, I mean, they're basically not stopping anybody. I think they're worst in the nation in third down defense. Um, and now they have these injuries that we that we talked about. Um, they, I mean, we mentioned the depth chart. They've now moved a freshman D-end, a D-tackle, who is 235 pounds. <laughs> now, I'm sure he's, he's quicker than, well, yeah. than snot, but... I mean, I can't imagine anybody's ideal world four, five games into the season is to play a freshman at the tackle that weighs as much as Tavion Thomas. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's incredible. 
Um, real quick, I mean, we, that went that went long. So real quick on uh, last week, um, just a big time gutty performance, and uh, I, I don't want to say it too quickly, but but Des Ritter is almost all grown up. He goes. He, he, he really goes, he. Eight for eight to close the game. Six for seven on third down. He started zero for three on third down. He goes six for seven the rest of the game. Um, a couple, yeah, third and ten, third and eleven, third and twelve, third and seven. You know, these weren't easy third down conversions. He was making. He made plays with his arm. He made plays with his legs. And uh, the confidence this kid has is impressive, man. Well, I think two things jumped out to me. Dez specifically, I know at one point he was 8 for 16 and finished 19 for 29. So, as you, you know, he really brought it and picked up his game in the second half. And the other thing that jumped out to me was that let's just not beat around the bush. Defensively in the first half, they were awful. They got out-schemed, I thought. I thought they misdirected out, them out to schemed, get to death. They, they looked slow yeah. to... The spots, they were missing tackles. Um, you know, it was just, it was nothing that we had seen before. So, I mean, but it was something that I think if you were being honest with yourself, you also needed to be prepared to see just because, I mean, they were awful on defense last year and they were taking a really large leap that is probably a little too much to even. Yeah, they weren't the top five defense in the country. No. So there had to be some regression to the mean, and that happened in the first half. But the part that I thought was was great was that in the second half, it was the polar opposite. They looked fast. They weren't missing those tackles. You know, they held a team that went right down the field in the first half and scored 24 points like it was nothing – to two field goals in the second half, which allowed the offense to get on track and get back in the game. So to me, that tells them as a coaching staff, hey, guys, watch this tape. Look at all the things that we did wrong, and then look at all the things that we did well in the same game, and we can take that and build off that, and new guys stepped up and made plays. Um, I mean, I know that Jarrell White has gotten a lot of attention for his play down at the goal line, but in rewatching the the film, the interior of the D line really kind of made that play. Yeah, you could you couldn't tell who blew up the center uh, just because there were too many bodies. But Curtis Brooks blew up the right guard who was pulling. Who I imagine his was supposed to be in that intention hole. was to block Jarrell. Yeah, and whoever was playing nose up on the center beat the center bad enough that pushed him back into the guy that was pulling that Curtis Brooks also knocked off his, his block, which then allowed Jarrell to, you know, diagnose the play and fill that hole where no one was there, which it, again, ask me a thousand times out of a thousand, why a team who hadn't been stopped running the ball all game hands the ball off on the, on the one foot line instead of running a quarterback sneak. I don't know, but you know, we'll take it. So, they almost looked uh, like an offensive line, like they were the offense, and Jarrell was the no, running they back. they definitely did. Because they so, it, it, mean, was it was their jumbo just, package. Was, they had five defensive linemen in there. They acted as the as if they were the offensive line. Right. 
and and you know OU wasn't disguising anything. They had two tight ends on that side. They were they ran there on first down and almost scored, and then ran it on second, and that's when Drell made the play. And then you know the third you know the third down call was the third down call, and, and James Wiggins made another huge huge interception. But it was just you know think I want to say things had been coming too easy for the defense, but I mean I post I kind of posted some of the national rankings after the conference season was over, I mean, pass efficiency defense, they're third in the country. Um, you know, they're, they're way up there on a lot of defensive stats. And, and I think that may be part of them and part, you know, the offenses that they're playing, you know, you definitely had the most competent offense uh, that they had seen so far. Granted, there were so many mistakes in the first half that I think inflated some of that as well. Yeah. Um, I, I do want to get a, it, uh, I do want to give a shout out, um, I, I and, and rightfully so. James Wiggins has been getting a lot of the hype over the past couple weeks, uh, and it is incredible to have a, a playmaking free safety again. The the impact that just that alone makes on a team is clearly remarkable. Derek Force is really good too. Yeah, I mean they've both been they've both been kind of what we. We thought, yeah, maybe. Or, or we hoped, yeah, like hoped, uh, maybe a little better than we thought. Because yeah, the back I end could, of that I defense, that. and have we really seen a guy just running free over the top of the safeties where there was a blown assignment or they didn't get their hips turned, and next thing you know, a guy's flying down the field? I mean, not really. No. There have been some plays underneath them that have gotten free. Uh, where positioning you, and maybe I mean, you can, they're out of you position. Can live, but yeah, it's going to happen. You can live with that. It's yeah. just, you know, you want to make teams drive the ball. And, you know, too many times in, in the last couple of years, we had, you know, under five play drives. And that, you know, that's, that's mainly a break. When that happens, that's mainly a breakdown from your defense. And we just haven't seen that. So, uh, you know, for this week's game, I don't, I don't see that being a problem. Um, you know, just because it's kind of a, like we said, it's kind of a one man show and you just, you know, he's a much better athlete than Nathan Rourke was. So hopefully they tackle better and hopefully they don't, you know, get called for 150 yards and penalties. Yeah. Um, I, mean, I don't think we need to really touch on that much other than that it was, it was pretty terrible. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't, do you have anything else on the OU game? No. Um, let's let's real quick before we jump to basketball prediction for this weekend against the UConn Huskies. Um, you know, I'm going to say something like uh, 48-20. I think that sounds about right. You have to think. They're probably going to um, – you're, you're probably going to see a lot of Mike Warren. Hopefully we start seeing yeah. some more of, of Tavion Thomas and Charles McClellan because I don't have a good feeling about Jared Dokes at this point. Right. I, I, we don't know for sure. Um, but I, 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 I think I said on this podcast last week, if we don't see him by UConn, I well, I think it it means bad Co- things. Coach, coach said, 
you know, he was getting reevaluated this week. He barely practiced in fall, and he hadn't played in the first four games. So if you're not starting to practice and you're getting reevaluated, that's probably not a good sign. Yeah. So I'm going to go, I, I think, I'll go 48-21. All right. All right. Before we get into basketball, would like to remind you that the BCJ podcast is brought to you by Trace Pontas. That's uh, a delicious, fresh, roasted gourmet coffee shipped directly to you. The coffee beans are roasted to order your order and shipped out immediately. Every bag of beans they ship to you has the roast date clearly printed on it. You know your coffee is fresh. You've heard of single origin coffee. Trace Pontas coffee is one level higher. Their coffee comes from a single family farm. Specifically, our high quality beans come from the Race Family Coffee Farm located near the town of Trace Pontas in Brazil. Offer gourmet coffee beans in four roast profiles, light, medium, dark, and French roast. The, sh- the coffee ships to you in either whole bean or pre-ground 12-ounce packages. Uh, you can find out about Trace Pontas coffee in two easy ways. First, go to their website www.tracepontas, T-R-E-S-P-O-N-T-A-S dot com slash coffee. All coffee orders are roasted fresh and shipped out immediately. Uh, or you can go to Amazon. Uh, you visit Amazon and search for Trace Pontas. The coffee will be the first thing you see uh, when you buy on Amazon. Your coffee will also be first ro- roasted fresh to order and shipped out right away. Enjoy the convenience of ordering on Amazon. Uh, and uh, All orders enjoy free shipping in the U.S., uh, either from the Trace Pontas website or Amazon. On the website, I recommend going to the website, www.tresponta.s.com. Sign up for a subscription. You get fresh uh, roasted beans sent to you every one, two, or four weeks, your choice. When you sign up for a coffee subscription, you save 10% off every bag of coffee. But listeners of the BCJ podcast can get an extra 10% off by using the code BEARCATS at checkout when buying a coffee subscription. This means you get a total of 20% off every bag of coffee in your subscription. With this code, you enter the code at checkout. BCJ listeners, I'm asking you, I'm begging you, if you're a coffee drinker, go to Trace Pontas and get some coffee. And actually now, they also have K-Cups. So you can get the beans, you can get the grounds, you can get K-Cups. Uh, it's all there. Trace Pontas website. Inner Bearcats at checkout, 20% off every bag. Uh, I My wife has been enjoying. Uh, we got our second shipment the other day in the mail. My wife, uh, normally she's, uh, if she goes out, she'll stop and get a, you know, a cup of coffee before work or whatever. Wasn't a big coffee drinker at home. Uh, since we've gotten the Trace Pontas, pretty much every morning there's a, there's a, co- a pot of coffee uh, being brewed downstairs. <coughs> so that's a good sign. She, she never did that. Yeah, she, she, she never bought it at the store, never worried about drinking coffee at home. Now every morning she's got a cup of coffee of Trace Pountas. So go get it. Help out Bearcat Journal and our sponsor for the BCJ podcast. All right, Dave. Uh, we don't have a ton of time. Uh, football went a little bit. Do you want to a uh, uh, quick reminder about the watch party Saturday? Yeah, absolutely. Watch party Saturday. Um that is at the Taft's Brewporium, not the Ale House, not downtown. The Taft's Brewporium, we're there. It starts at 3 o'clock. 
Kickoff is at 3.30. Come join us. Have some beverages. Excellent pizza. Uh, really, really good pizza that, that uh, Berg and I had when we stopped out there. I uh, met with them a couple weeks ago. Um, very, very good stuff. And uh, you will want to be there. And we've got a pretty good response on Twitter from this. Uh, with the Bearcats out of town, this is something through football and basketball season I would like to do more of. And uh, I, I think we have found the right place for us. Uh, unfortunately for home games, a little bit far away um, from campus. So I, I don't think, you know, it, to do like a, a pregame meetup, things like that. But perfect for a watch party. Absolutely perfect for a watch party. Centralized location right off 75. Come join us on Saturday, 3 o'clock at the Taft Brewporium for the BCJ a watch party as the Bearcats take on UConn. Uh, you will not be there this time, but you will. And uh, keep, if you're listening, keep October 13th open in the evening. Because I think we might be back at Taft's Brewporium. Maybe a version of this podcast being recorded with a special guest that maybe was part of a, a legendary play in UC football history that's, that's known in three words. Uh, that he's been a, a guest on this podcast recently. He's the sideline reporter, maybe. He might host the coach. Maybe he might co-host the coach's show. Uh, but we're Dave and I uh, are working on October thirteenth, around six p.m. I, the details aren't completely ironed out yet. Uh, but a BCJ podcast, and then uh, maybe a Q and A with said former quarterback from Reading, Ohio. Reading's not far yeah, from uh, Reading's not far from Taft's Brewporium. I, I, I would not be. Unfortunately, I would not be there Saturday. I'm traveling down to the to the dirty to watch the the men in stripes take on the Falcons. It is our yearly uh, road game. So if, if any Bengal fans are listening, uh, do not expect to win this weekend because because you're going. Uh, I could not tell you the last time I went to a road game and they won. So, so hammer the Falcons, and I've and I've <laughs> been to several, and uh, they do not win them. Right. So just get ready for two and two, and take on the Dolphins. Schedule finally released today for men's basketball. The hold up for everybody wondering. Um, so when they agreed, part of the way things work is when they agreed to this series with NKU. It was in the contract for using BB&T Arena. But they didn't actually have, like, a game contract. And what drug this out for an extra week or so is they wanted to iron out the future details. Like, the game this year has been agreed upon for a long time. But in terms of, you know, when is UC going back? Um, what dates are they going to play those return games? When are they going to schedule... You know, the, the second part of the home-and-home home series that they have six years to get in four games. Um, so that stuff takes some time. Probably took a little bit more time than it should have, and that's what delayed the schedule. It wasn't anything crazy. I know people were freaking out about it, but until there was a signed contract, Cincinnati wasn't going to announce the schedule. That got done. The schedule was announced today. Dave, what do you see when you take a look at the schedule for the season? I see a pretty difficult non-conference. Yeah, I mean that's schedule. Um, show. A lot of and a lot of it is kind of all slammed together. 
back backloaded. Um, that that stretch you know, from December first, and even the Emerald Coast Classic. But that stretch from December first to December nineteenth is rough. Yeah, I mean, we kind of kind of touched on it uh, a little bit when the non when the conference schedule uh, came out. I mean, I think they're set up pretty well. Um, at the beginning of the conference schedule, but it's, it's, um, you know, I think it's, you know, I don't, I think it's kind of a, you know, it's kind of a rebuilding year and I don't know if you can really argue that considering what they're having to replace. So, you know, hopefully they can get some, get some scouts in the non-conference and build on that and take that into the beginning of the conference schedule and, and create some momentum in that way. Yeah, I mean, you go you go at UNLV, NKU at home, Xavier at home, at Mississippi State, and UCLA uh, at home in that, that two-and-a-half-week stretch from the beginning of December into uh, one more game, South Carolina State, on the 22nd. Uh, and then that goes into the Christmas break and then the opening of conference play. Uh, we talked a little bit about this last week. A pretty manageable opening to conference play um, in terms of, you know, you've got Tulane at home, at T- ECU, at Tulsa, UConn at home, USF at home. Um, and then the rest of that conference schedule is pretty rough, man. Yeah, because, I mean, if, you, if you're if you're front-loaded with the Tulane's and the ECU's, that means that you're back-loaded with right. the, the other teams. So, you know, that they're going to have to buy by the time we get to the 19th of January, which is at Wichita State on a Saturday on CBS. Um, boy, the Wichita State and then at Temple, SMU at home, at Memphis, at Houston, Wichita State at home, UCF at home, who's probably going to be the preseason favorite to win the league. Then at UConn, at SMU, Memphis at home, at UCF. And then Houston at home. I mean, there's not really much of a breather from January 19th to March 10th. So uh, this young team is going to have to grow up uh, through that out of conference, manage to get a couple scalps, get through that thing 10 and 3, 11 and 2, somewhere in that range, uh, and then and then get loaded up in conference play on those first five games because the last 13, um, there, there's not a whole lot of breathers. So it's it's a diff, it's a very difficult schedule and a schedule that is very much going to challenge a team that that lost three of its four best players. Um, mm-hmm. I did see about twenty minutes of a, a five on five run last week. Uh, it's really the only live stuff I've seen uh, since they got back in school. It's been a lot of which is what they do. They do skill development and and you know work on some basics. Uh, in the time before practice starts, uh, but through they they played six games, I think of six, you know, like kind of like open gym type deal, You're playing to eight or playing to ten or whatever. I don't remember exactly what they were playing to, but uh, through right. the first five games of that open run, Jaron Cumberland didn't miss a shot. Well, they're going to probably need that to continue <laughs> for the next four months. The teams weren't fair, and I, it was it was Kane, Jaron. Fredericks, I think. No, Kane, Jaron, Trevor Moore, 
Trey Scott and Nizier Brooks were on one team. And then, you know, the the rest of the guys pretty much were on the other team. And uh didn't go well for them. I think it was five to one. Five to one the team that had all the most of the projected <laughs> starters was the team that won. Um But, you know, I'll I'll have a report up tomorrow on what I see uh tomorrow at practice as things get started. Uh inside the practice gymnasium in the Linder Center. We have media availability uh before practice. Uh, so once I get home, I'll have some video from Mick, uh, talk to a player or two, hopefully. And uh, then I think on October 8th is when they're having their actual, like, media day um, for the basketball team. Uh, last thing, official visitor in town today. I think he got here Tuesday night, but the visit started today, goes today and tomorrow. Uh, Francisco Fadabello from Argentina, uh, like I mentioned at the top of the show. He has been with the Argentinian uh, under, you know, the, the Argentinian FIBA youth program uh, from an early age. He has been their, their primary point guard um, at the 15 under level, 16 under level, 17 under level, 18 under level. Uh, he has played well against high level competition. He played well against Canada this year. He played well as a 17U against the USA last year uh, against Colin Sexton and some of those guys. Um this uh, it, it's UC. He goes from here to TCU. Um, I think we'll, we we should get a decision sometime, you know, in a relative time frame after that happens. Um, I think in terms of getting just a, a pure steady point guard, uh, I think this would be a, a very nice addition uh, to, if you had him and Logan Johnson running the show after. Kane Broom and, and Justin Jennifer move on at the end of this year. I don't know how much you've seen of him, so I don't I don't I don't know if you've watched oh, a little. Videos. I mean he definitely seems like the set the table uh, really you know, good in pick of, and roll. Top of point guard and I I, I know this because a, a very good friend of mine is married to uh, an Argentinian girl. There's a heavy, heavy Italian uh, influence in Argentina, so it, it would be nice to have another Paisan. <laughs> With uh, the, I mean, how could he not be Italian? I know. His name is Francisco but, you know, Fadabello. Pe- <laughs> people hear the name and he's from Argentina, so they're like, how does that happen? Well, there are a ton of Italians in Argentina. So, uh, you know, the Simone family would probably definitely have a, a favorite player on the team real quick. <laughs> So I'll, uh, I, I think there's a language barrier we're going to have to overcome, but I should hopefully have some information on that as we go through the weekend uh, and into uh, once his – because I think, I think he actually – the reason the visit didn't start for 12 hours after he arrived, he's going to school this year in Australia. And I believe he, he got to the States from Australia last night – or Tuesday, yeah, last night, Tuesday night. And they let him crash at the hotel before they started the visit. This, to, you know, today, which I think is uh, well, you would you would know this better than myself, just from seeing things on the outside. Does TCU even have a spot for this guy? I don't think so. Uh, I, but that's, I mean, we've played that game before. It's never stopped anybody before, right. but it, you know, it seems like if UC and TCU are are quote unquote the finalists. Um, you know, they would if they really want him, they would have to make some some moves. It, it yes. would seem from from where I said. Yes, that would be correct. 
So okay. we'll see. We'll see. Uh, we'll see what kind of press they put on them. I know it's an interesting situation just because they've only got one spot. You know, the, there's not a lot of uh, there's not a lot of room at the end right now. And you know, are they ready to take that? You know, to close off recruiting until 2020 uh, at this point in the game. That you know, that's going to depend on how impressed they are with the kid while he's here. Uh, this is a kid that was originally recruited by Larry Davis. Uh, Darren Savino took over when Larry Davis retired. Uh, was able to obviously, you know, keep the relationship strong and, and keep the visit on. Um, so you know, we'll we'll see what comes of it. But uh, that's that's kind of where things stand. Uh, maybe next week after uh, you know, there's some practices in the book. Maybe we'll have Berg join us for the second half of the podcast. Uh, or you know, that might be a uh, the off week um, after we go through media what? day. Maybe yeah, we'll, the the Wednesday podcast in the off week. Yeah, maybe we'll do uh, just a a quick. It's it's actually well, that's I mean it's right at the halfway point this year, right? Yeah. Four, yeah, five, I mean our six. off week is is six game after the uh, two lane game, so yeah. it'll be six games. So that'll be a good chance maybe for us to just do a, a little bit of football and then primarily basketball. Uh, in that bye week uh, podcast as we gear towards November 1st is the opening of Fifth Third Arena, the uh, the test run against Tusculum. 7 o'clock. And then Ohio State comes to town Wednesday, November 7th, 6 p.m. on ESPN2. That's all I got, man. You got anything else? I don't think so. You, you, we'll save your rant for next week. Yeah, I guess we've gone a little long. Uh, I'll just say every game time has pluses and minuses. Get over it and just go to the game. (laughs) I had a rebuttal. I I was actually going to kind of be on the other side of this one. So we'll do it next week. (laughs) All right. We'll do it next week. All right, man. He's Dave Simone. I'm Chad Brendel. Thanks to our special guest, Amon Kidwai from the UConn blog, for coming in and talking about the Huskies. And uh, we will see you next week. Actually, I'll see you on Saturday at Task Brewporium, 3 o'clock, kickoff at 3.30 against UConn. But we'll see you here on this show next week as hopefully the Bearcats are talking 5-0 and with homecoming against Tulane on deck. We'll see how that goes. Never take anything for granted as we learned uh, on Saturday. But No, it's definitely true. So we'll see you next week. He's Dave Simone. I'm Chad Brendel. It's the BCJ Podcast on BearcatJournal.com.